that's what's so cool about what we do in comedy. You'll go from a star to a beginner to a star or maybe never, but it's just the experience of the people you meet and, and the journey and, and just to be a part of it is, 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 it's so amazing, you know? Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Got a fun episode today, interview with Joey Aiello, comedian who performs across the country, all kinds of events, clean comedian based in Branson, Missouri, but not branded as a Branson comedian necessarily, but travels out of Branson. And he'll talk all about that world, the world he came from in Minneapolis, and how he was raised in Wisconsin. So there you go. Uh, we'll get to that here in a minute. Do want to thank our sponsors, Hot Breath Podcast with Joel Byers. You'll hear more from Joel uh, in the middle of the show. And you can always check the show notes to click some links to get over to his podcast. But if you enjoy my show, you'll definitely enjoy Joel's. He interviews uh, comics as well, gets into their stories, gets some tips from them that uh, you would definitely be able to apply to your own comedy, regardless of where you're at in the journey. Also, thanks to our Patreon supporter for this episode, John Peters, who has recently bumped up his Patreon support uh, from one level to the next highest level. So, John, I thank you for doing that. And I know John listens uh, to all the episodes, and often he will shoot me a quick email or a message saying, hey, I got something out of this one. Thanks for doing that. If you'd like to sponsor the podcast through Patreon, just go to schooloflast.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. All right, we're going to jump right into it. I'll talk to you on the backside. Here is Joey Aiello. Joey Aiello, how's it going, bud? Hey, how you doing, Rick? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking time to get on the line here today and, and talk with me. I've known you for a while. I was trying to track back how long I've known you. I think it's been 10 years. Does that sound about right? That sounds good. It's been a long time. It sound, that sounds about right. Yeah, and uh, one, one of the first shows we did together, if I remember correctly, we were up in Wisconsin doing a two or three day thing, and it was it was actually eight years ago because it was 2010, right when Nashville got flooded that weekend. That's, Collision of comedy. That's what it was. We did a we did a, ch- a church show, and then we did like uh, some theater show and some community service in the afternoon, <laughs> if I remember right. We yeah, like, Johnny W was with us, wasn't he? That's it. That was the three of us. What a what a tremendous amount of nonsense that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was awesome. And that was that was the first time I got to see you do comedy, and we'll talk about where you're at and what you're doing right now. But tell me a little bit about uh, your upbringing, because I don't know if everybody knows this about you, but you were raised uh, by some interesting folks, to say the least. I was raised by clowns. Both <laughs> my parents were professional clowns when I was a kid. And uh, my father was a, uh, not, not only was he a clown, he was a cop and he was a Christian. And that's funny because a lot of people like to run away from cops, clowns, and Christians. But my father didn't <laughs> run away from it. He was an amazing father. He was an amazing cop. and He was an amazing Christian. He wasn't a stereotype. He wasn't, you know, because people nowadays are terrified of clowns and uh, they're terrified of cops and they're terrified of Christians, you know. But my, but my dad, he never, as a clown, he didn't scare you. You know, he made you laugh. And as a, as a cop, he didn't. 
he didn't beat you. He protected. And as a Christian, he didn't judge you. He loved. And that's what I loved about my dad. He was an example, not a stereotype. So, well, that, you know, it's a great way to describe him. I, I met him way back when, and he was extremely proud of what you were doing. The fact that, oh, man. Uh, you know, walking in his footsteps to some degree, but also bringing your own talents to the table. So that's pretty cool. And you grew up in, was it Wisconsin, Minneapolis? Where'd you grow up? I, I grew up in, I was born in Racine, Wisconsin, which is between Milwaukee and Chicago. And it's kind of funny because my my family's history on my dad's side is an Aiello, that's an Italian last name. So my great-grandfather came from Italy, New York, New York to Chicago. And we always say, and then in, in the witness protection in Racine, Wisconsin. <laughs> it's a complicated story. We don't want to get deep into it. But that is the family history. My great-grandfather came over on to Ellis Island and uh he was an immigrant and uh you know that, that's my dad's side of the family and so uh, my dad was very Italian he loved Italian things he loved he loved he loved uh, Italian Americanized things you know you know Alfred, uh, chicken alfredo is not an Italian dish that's a, an Americanized Italian dish so I'm when I say I'm Italian I'm not I don't even know how to speak Italian I'm an Americanized uh fifth, sixth generation, you know, is where I'm coming from. But, but Italians, no matter how far away from the old country you go, we all kind of are in common. We talk with our hands, we're loud, we're passionate, we have tempers, but yet we're the most loving people. So that, that kind of really describes even what my stage uh, presence is, man. It's just, it, it's just me out there being, just having fun. It, and it is kind of a caricature Cause that's what my father was. He's kind of a bigger than life type of person. And uh, I lost him in 2010 of a master stroke, right when my career was taken off and I was going to quit comedy. And someone came up to me and said, you know, you look like your father. You sound like your father. I'm so glad your dad lives on through you. And I realized, dude, what, what would I, what would I, how stupid would I be to throw away everything? Uh, the person who inspired me, it was like a Rocky movie. You know, I lost my coach, but yet, I'm going to get out there and knock this crowd out. And that's what I did. And thou shalt laugh. I had just lost my father. And it was the first televised, uh, uh, you were sitting in the audience that night. It was thou shalt laugh five and it was shot in Tennessee. And, um, I just lost my dad. And I remember talking to somebody and they said, well, what material are you going to do tonight? And I said, I was going to do this thing about my father. And they're like, well, didn't he just die? And I was just like, yeah, he did. And, and I questioned if I should do the material. But I said, you know what, he, 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 he is a part of me and I, and I don't do the jokes to make fun of him. I do the jokes that he lives on and that's what I've been doing. And now we just had our first baby boy and he's the first boy to take on the ILO name and keep this thing going. So it's pretty amazing. And yeah, I was, I was glad I got to meet your dad and it can be extremely tricky whenever you have a big event like that in your life to, you start questioning what you're doing and, and it's definitely mm-hmm. a, a moment to take a pause and reflect, but it's, it's rarely a moment where you make a big decision to stop doing something. So it's, I'm glad that you stuck with it. And yeah, I was at that taping and you know, it's just a little side note is so weird is the theater you did the taping in for thou shalt laugh is now converted into the Huckabee theater at TBN where I do the uh-huh. audience warm up and do the announcing sometimes. So there, there'll be moments. Can, can we go deeper than that though? Can we go <laughs> deeper than that? I moved to Branson and you got to understand, I don't know anything about country music. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Yankee Northerner who does, who used to do hip hop. I don't know anything. And here I am in a country capital area, just like Nashville. Do you know that that, and I didn't know this cause I met a guy who was a Conway Twitty tribute yeah. artist. And he said 
that that <clears throat> is Conway Twitty's old mansion. Yes. It's, if you know who Conway Twitty is. Right. The, the country legend. Yeah, it was Twitty City and, uh, you know, had his house and mansion there and he could walk across the street and do a show at the theater. And then the TBN took it over and it's just, it's gone through a few different changes, but so, so weird how those little things cross connect and, uh, and, you know, they live on in different ways, but the, the place is still there. It's pretty wild. And, uh, and that's how I got to Branson because, um, my dad just died. My agent called me and he said, guess where you're moving? You know, we had just taped that thou shall laugh, you know, uh-huh. my career was taken off and, you know, and, um, but I miss my dad. I was really grieving my father and I, I, I had never lost anybody that close to me. And so, um, um, I was doing really well in Minneapolis. Minneapolis had a great comedy scene. I was really, and I'd done everything you could possibly do at that, at that point. Um, I, I was working for club three degrees. I, I was doing stuff for the WNBA, the NBA target, you know, Best Buy because I was a corporate party host for GameWorks, which owned Sega. And so I worked right in the warehouse district in Minneapolis, which was right Right. Uh, I even did shows at First Avenue. That's where Prince shot Purple Rain, the movie. Oh, and wow. the Club Three Degrees was right across the street from um, from Prince's old club. And so I was doing the ILO comedy show. And I, But then the Minnesota Twins bought uh, our parking lot and the, the club just couldn't stay open because it was the only Christian club in the United States. And it was all staffed by volunteers. And so when the parking went up to $30 a, a pop, uh, you know, they couldn't afford to keep the club running. So things were closing around me. My father just passed. My agent calls me and says, guess where you're moving? And I go, L.A.? He goes, no. New York? No. Hawaii? No. This goes on for hours. And finally, he goes, Branson, Missouri. And I said, for real? And he goes, are you excited? I go, why not? He goes, nobody else wants to go. And that was the truth of the matter. And the only reason why I wanted to go and this is the honest truth is that my mom and dad just vacation there. You know, my dad was a veteran and he was a police officer, police officer and he was a Christian and he would come home from these vacations. And I had heard because he'd always talk about it. See, my, my grandfather had, had, had retired to hot Springs, Arkansas, which isn't too far mm-hmm. from where I live now. <laughs> and so this is where they used to vacation all the time. And they'd come home and my dad would talk about Branson, Branson, Branson. So when, when my agent said, you're moving to, you got an offer to move to Branson. I said, let's do it. And the only reason why is because I just wanted to be where my father was. Like I just, I was grieving and I just wanted to be where he was. So I packed up my whole home. I just had a baby girl and we moved to Branson. I didn't know anybody. And within the first six months I got ripped off and uh, didn't have any money, didn't have a job and um, would get people were threatening to run me out of town. It was kind of a sloppy thing. I had never, I had never had any problems like that. And, um, I'd never been sued or anything. Um, and I was just like, what is going on? <clears throat> and we were about to, we were about to leave. But, but when I first got there, they're like, do you like it? And I'm not going to say who I'm talking about, but do you like it? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I just moved here. And, um, when they said, well, you'll never work in this town again. I looked at that person and said, well, I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my life. My life is you count me out, man. I'm I'm an underdog. I was in special education my senior year. I don't always do things the way people want me to do it, but you know, but I, I'll get the job done. I, I I I'm a no, you know, and I just have my own way of doing things. But but I stay within the lines. It's like when I was a kid, if you asked me to cut the grass, I'll cut the grass, but I'll be doing designs in it. I'm not going to go up and down, <laughs> back and forth. I might get bored, you know, I'm going to get creative with it. You know, let me be who I am, you know, and, and, uh, 
I knew there was a place for me here. I knew I didn't just come here to move away. And um, I could feel, I could feel my dad's presence. It was, it was almost haunting. You know, it's just like you, you can hear your dad or, you know, the people you grew up with saying, don't give up, you know, things are going to get better. And um, the first six years, man, or the first three years were just, wow, we had, we had, we miscarried three times. We lost twins and, you know, just every time we would try to go forward, man, we would get slapped back. We felt like the Cleveland Browns. We just couldn't win a game, you know? <laughs> hey, you could tie one though. <laughs> <laughs> we tied one time as well and then well, lost the rest. But well, the point is <laughs> pretty much that's prophetic. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but, um, but you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, uh, man, this year I just got, okay, so we moved to, uh, I start at the Jim Stafford Theater. And, um, and everything I talked about just now had nothing to do with Jim. I was brought to town by some people who were leasing his theater. Um, and side note, if we can stop right here, you can take this part out, but, uh, it's important for the story because, okay. So I started the Jim Stafford theater within six months. I'm taking, I had brought my dad's clown shoes. You know, I wore those on the cover of my DVD. You know that, right? Right. right. Clown shoes on raised by clowns. So Raised by Clowns had come out right as I moved here. It was a tribute to my dad. I took my clown, my dad's clown shoes and I put them on the photo. And I had no idea that Jim Stafford had that on his flyer. But he just had he was just wearing clown shoes to be funny. I think he thought that I was copying him. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't. Uh. Like these are my dad's clown shoes, you know. Like I'm wearing my dad's these are my actual father, you know. So I brought those clown shoes into his theater and then when I had to leave his theater six months later. I was devastated. I, I remember talking to those clown shoes like I was talking to my dad and I was like, I'm sorry, dad, I failed you. And, but then something came over me. It's like my dad slapped me in the back of the head and I changed my tune and said, you know what? I'm not going to give up. And next time, next time I, I'm going to stay here and, and I'm coming back to this theater. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm coming back here. And this year I was nominated comedian of the year. And on October 7th, they're going to, if I win, it's going to be at the Jim Stafford theater is the award ceremony. So if I go up on that stage and collect that award, uh, but even I had a press conference there about a month ago and I just had a little private moment with my father. Just, I did it. You know, I'm back here. I, I didn't let you down. And so that, that, you know, I have so many friends thinking about ending their lives. I hear it all the time. People are really depressed nowadays. And, and it, it just puts into, it just puts into context why it's so what we do and how we choose to do it. I work clean. I choose to, you know, I, I was sick and they tried to give me medicine and I didn't want to be on their medicine. And now I'm giving medicine, you know what I'm saying? And, and, right. and people need it right now. They need to laugh. They need, they need hope and they need, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? They need to be encouraged that their life is precious and it's a gift and that it's not over. It's just beginning. So, and yeah. things will get better. And Joey, was there any time that your dad uh, specifically told you that, like, he was proud of you? Were there any cool moments uh, as you were getting your comedy going? Yeah, man, I remember um, I stopped home early in my career, and I was on a budget, and I was going to crash at my parents' house. And my father met me at the door. He knew I was coming over. He had his favorite comedian's DVD in his hand, and it was John Pignette. And, you know, John Pignette uh, passed away a few years ago, and but... You know, my dad passed away in 2010, but my dad was a huge John Panette fan, but I had never heard of John Panette. And he, he, I walk up to the door and he goes, let me show you what a real comic looks like. And so we go in and we watch four hours 
of John Pignette. Not that it took four hours. He just kept rewinding to his favorite parts, you know? <laughs> and he goes, uh, I sneak out of the house. I go to my next gig and I'm at, I'm in Columbus, Ohio. And I wanted to go get some, some time up at the funny bone. And so I was just going to go up to the club and see if I could get on stage. I had no idea who was working that night. And they said, well, you're going to have to go before John Pignette. He's the headliner this week. And I had just seen him for the first time at my dad's house the night before. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is my dad's favorite comic, man. I hope I can get like, I know I can't get an autograph. You can't go up to people, you know, in our line of work at a club and be like, can you sign this for me? If the club sees that, you'll never work at the club. Right, <laughs> so right. I'm trying to respect them, you know. So I, we do two shows that night. I go sit by the, the bar. I'm eating a meal. And John comes and sits right next to me. And he looks to me and goes, so who's your favorite comic? I was watching you. You're funny. And I said, well, you're my father's favorite comic. And he goes, I tell him the story. And he goes, uh, well, let's call your dad. Oh, I said, great. you want to call my dad? He goes, what's your dad's name? And I'm like, Jim. And so, you know, he's, he's kind of he has an Italian background, too, as far as I know. I know he's from New York. And they're very similar in their personalities off stage, him and my dad. So I was like, this should be interesting. He calls my dad. There's no caller ID back then. My dad picks up and goes, who is it? And John goes, Jimmy. And my dad goes, yeah, who's this? <laughs> John goes, it's John. And my dad goes, John who? And John goes, John Pignette. And my dad goes, shut up. And he hangs up on me. <laughs> and John's like, he just hung up on me. I'm like, he loves you. That's how we love in our family. Shut up. I love you. <laughs> And I go home for Christmas and there's a ticker tape parade for me and my aunts are throwing me up in the air. He's a real comic now. That's, that's how I knew I made it to the big time. That's funny. And that's nice of John to take some, some time and do something cool for you. That's, that's sweet, man. What's up, School of Laughs? This is Atlanta comedian Joel Byers and host of the weekly podcast Hot Breath, your weekly guide to comedy mastery. Every Monday, you can hear well-researched interviews with comedians like Bo Burnham, Aries Spears, Miss Pat, and Rick Roberts, revealing their tips and techniques for finding comedy success on and off the stage. Subscribe to Hot Breath on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or any other podcast platform to join the Hot Breathiverse and learn the top comedy tips from comedy's top comics. I hope to see you there. Hot Breath. Well, let me ask you, you know, you, you talked about how moving to Branson brought you closer to your dad in a way, but also, you know, did you feel alienated or kind of on an island? You're so far away from all your buddies in Minneapolis and, you know, most people. Oh, very much so. Yeah, let me let me dig into that. What's really hard from, uh, let's get into the business aspect of it. Sure. You know, they're, they're charging 30 bucks a show down here. You can't, you know, uh, you know, I came out of Minneapolis. I used to do open mics every night. I Open mics is where I went to, to polish my set. It's where I went to, um, you know, just get good at what I do. And if you mess up, you mess up. Well, you can't mess up at a $30 show. You can't be doing open mic material. You got to have everything has to be solid. Right. So what the comics around here do is they go and steal people's jokes and they take them off the internet. And I was just like, man, I can't, I, that's not, I, that, that will ruin my reputation. That's not what I'm about. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm not going to just go hijack people's stuff. You know, I want to, that's why I wrote about my dad being a clown because people can't steal that as easy. You know what I'm trying to say? And I'm not trying to. Like, I don't want to. Like, comedy is so subjective, but it's so similar to other premises at sometimes. But down here, they'll just outright steal a line off the Internet you know, right. and put it in their show. And right. I and I refuse to do that. I'm like, nah. And so I but I wasn't making any money. So it's like, how do I how do I 
work on my craft? How do I make money? And so you ha- I had to, I had to do what I'm, where I'm at now where I, everything's in context. You know, um, I invested a lot of money. I tried to do my own dinner show and I lost like 10 grand because the overhead was too high in this town. It takes money to make money. I learned how to be in other people's shows and make money without coming out of pocket, you know, mm-hmm. and, and get a schedule that works for me. So this is kind of like where I live and where I get exposure and get leads and, 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 and write uh, my material. And then I go on the road and make real money. And that's how you really make it here. Yeah. And tell people who maybe don't know how it works in Branson, the, it's almost like a cab driver. You got to rent the cab and then try to make money while you have the cab before you turn it back in. It's kind of the same way with the theater space there. It's exhausting. So each theater has about four shows in each theater. You got your morning show, you got your matinee, and then you have your night show. And the reason why there's four different shows is sometimes they'll rotate the night show. And in some ways in the club, um, the theater, the, the night shows are the headlining the matinees or the features and the, and the mornings are sometimes the openers, but that's not necessarily true either because there's some really good morning shows that choose to do that slot so that they can make money on the road. Uh, the reason why I wanted to come here is because you can never get a booking at two o'clock on a Tuesday. <laughs> that's going to pay you, you, you know what I'm saying? On a regular basis. Right. So I wanted my schedule to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at two And then I'd have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. That way I could go on the road and then fly back. That was the initial plan. And then, but, but what ends up happening is I still got to rent the theater. I still got to, I still got to do the rack cards. I got to go around and promote the show. You know, you know, I mean, gosh, you're, you're one person as a comic, you're your own producer and you're your own writer and your own this. And then you, on top of it, your own, your own theater producer, your own theater manager, and your own, you know, you got to have a curtain guy, two ushers. And it, so if you're running it independently, I, I partnered with another guy and we did all of that ourselves. Right. We were responsible for all of that. Now I'm in a theater that is respected in town and they have, a, they own a water park and they own a fun spot and they own a buffet. So when people come to stay at their hotel, they package everything and the shows included. So I don't have to go around and promote it because the hotel, the resort takes care of everything. So it's kind of like Vegas, you know, if Vegas doesn't believe in you, then they're like, they're like, well, then you put up the money and let's see how well you do. But if Vegas believes in you, the casino fronts it because they know they're going to get a return. Does that make sense? So that's how it works. That's how it works. And so Branson is a lot like, the way Vegas rolls, it just doesn't have casinos. But from a business standpoint, a lot of our acts that are here are from America's Got Talent. You know, I've seen so many on America's Got Talent that I've seen them end up here. So (laughs) if I don't see them here, I see them in Vegas. So it's kind of that world. A lot of magicians, a lot of, a lot of Elvises, uh, a lot of variety type acts come here. I'm curious too. I know when you first got there, you were the outsider and, and definitely, People are like, let's see what this guy's got. Let's make it a little hard on him. After being there for so long and surviving and, and doing well now, what's the community been like? And, and have, you know, is it a little bit more accommodating? And everybody's looking out for each other. Or you still feel like an outsider at this point? Uh, things are, things are fantastic. I mean, I couldn't be happier. You know, I, I, um, I was doing that Barney fight fully loaded show. I met a, you know, and how I even got to that. I, and I had no idea. 
I, I didn't want to be a tribute artist. I didn't even know what that was. I'm a stand-up comic. And, and here's another thing I want to be I want to be known for in this interview. I'm not the Branson guy, okay? I'm still a stand-up comic. That's what I am. I just live here. And right. I function here. This is like my day job, but I'm always performing. Does that make sense? So yes. I don't want my career to be defined as, he's that Branson guy. No, 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 no. I'm the type of guy, the same guy that went into Minneapolis comedy scene and ran five rooms and was getting paid to run them. You know what I'm saying? And worked for Club Three Degrees and had the ILO comedy show. It's the same guy that worked for the, and then came here and did the same thing. You know, uh, I'll go into any situation and, and apply what my vision of what I have to run it because because it works you know and so um it's spinning plates you know i'm friends with paul may we talk about that that's his saying i'm spinning plates i get one over here going and that and and, and so where i'm at right now is um so i was doing the barney fife thing because i met this guy and someone was like you look just like one of the characters from the andy griffith show and the andy griffith show is huge down here for the older people that come and i really i wasn't connecting with older people i really wasn't and I started playing Otis. I guess I looked just like him. And <laughs> I started playing Otis Campbell. And I, I met a guy who was a Barney Fife impersonator. And he was funny. We came together and formed our own show. And we wrote it and produced it. And I had a 50-50. We were 50-50. We 50-50 invested. And we 50-50 got the money back. Well, he decided to get married. And he left flat a couple years ago. And he's out in Estes Park in Arizona. And I had no job at that point. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And then all of a sudden, Mel Tillis was about to pass away. And Tammy and Tanya, their sisters, and their mother, the original sister of the Ball Knobber Brothers, who started the first show in, in Branson, uh, they were looking for a comedian. And I heard about them. And they called me an interview at 10 o'clock at night at, at Grand Country Resort. And I'm sitting at the table. And they're like, be funny. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could be funny, but you know, it'd be better if you see me because I wouldn't just do Otis and Barney Fife for the loaded. I do my stand up. You know how you play Barney and you, you do stand up? Right. That's what I would do in the Barney Fight for the Loaded show. So we would do the characters, but we'd also do our stand up routine as part of the show, you know? Right. And so I told them I got one show left and if they don't come and see this show, that's probably the last time I'll perform in Branson. So they said, Well let us come out and see it and we'll make our decision. They came out and they and that day they signed me and I've been with them and I just got nominated uh, Community of the Year for their show. That's what I got nominated for. And I love working with them. We're once a week. We do two different shows on Sunday and they let me write all the comedy and I do all the comedy. I, I don't I don't have to do what they tell me to do. I, I as far as what's funny, they they trust me and they the love that I feel. So they were with Mel Tillis for over sixteen years. Wow. I never got to meet Mel, but I heard he was a very funny guy too, and he loved comedy as well. He used to stutter, and he was looking for backup singers, and he and he named Tammy and Tanya the Stutterettes, and they toured with Mel for 16 years. And so we do a lot of Mel's stuff in our country show, uh, but then we also have a gospel show. So I do all stand-up in the gospel show, and then I do a little bit of Otis in the country show with the different characters and some stand-up and stories. That's what I do on Sunday every week. And we do like three, four hundred people. Now, when me and Mike did our own show, we were doing 40 people. Now we're right. doing like three, four to five hundred every show. And um, I use those shows to get leads. And that's where I meet pastors and bookers and people who are doing corporates. And they ask me and the girls have a fill in for me. So when I have to go out of town, someone fills in for me and I go do the show. So this week I'm going to Austin, Texas, Denver and Kansas City. And then I'll be back uh, for my other work schedule. So, you're so pretty, I still travel too. 
yeah, I'm say it's a full schedule. And, uh, I love the fact that you're taking advantage of the, the time you have on stage in Branson to, to get stronger across the board. And when you go out and do your solo stuff out of town, it's just, you're a force to be reckoned with, you know, the joy. Well, I always, I always wanted to be an actor, but I never was given an opportunity. So I started, that's why I started wanting to try some of the characters because I never tried it before. So this Branson's like my little, little experiment world, you know, mm-hmm. it's like my open mic showcase and, and paid show all in one. And then it's like my cruise ship that never leaves the dock, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, and we get, we get uh, tours from all over the world. Really? I mean, we get, you know, Puerto Rico, we get, we get, I don't know, met people from, we get lots of Canadians and I'm, I'm doing 20 dates in Canada in the off season. So I already got that book from the 18th all the way to the 16th of February. I'm going to be in Canada. Wow. coast to coast that's awesome so, so i i so i got what what changed for me in branson is the way of booking too i learned how they book things in branson they they book it a year out mm-hmm. so like as soon as we get done with christmas i think that was another thing i had to learn like uh here i'm enjoying the summer months they're already booked they've already booked their new year shows here in branson they're already changing over for christmas the minute right. halloween's over boom we do christmas shows it's crazy so they, they taught me, you've got to take those leads you get from your shows and you've got to be booking yourself out. So then that way you're always booked right. and you're always working and you're always doing something and you're not waiting on anybody. So right. I don't have to wait on anybody. I got a backup plan all the time, you know? That's awesome. And you're, um, my problem, my problem right now is I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm physically hurting. I, I kid you not. When I took those 20 dates on, in Canada, I was like, can I physically do that? You know, right, I mean, right. I didn't say I could and I was like, yeah, let's do it. But I'm like, man, you know, like I just got, I do almost 200 shows in nine months just in Branson. <laughs> so know. it's like, man, can I physically do, you know? It's funny so. how it works. Like by, by the time we figure out what we're best at and we've got the, the mileage and the dues paid, it's like, okay, that was a lot of work. I'm beat up from the work, but I know how to do it now. And you're, you know, you do have to, you do have to consider your health and your, and your pace when you get, you know, I'm 50, you're not nearly as old as I am, but as you put some years on the body and the frame, uh, waking up, moving fast in the morning is, is not as natural as it used to be. And <laughs> well, there's, an, there's another thing that, that really was more devastating than even my father passing away and that was that fact that i had a stroke when i was 21 and i have a rare muscle disease so i've been in utter pain for all these times i used to class after every show when i was recovering uh when i was 21 years old and and so that was my illness that was preventing me from going forward in my career and it was always the fear of me collapsing or having a massive attack i have a paralysis illness called familiar periodic paralysis. So I become paralyzed periodically. I'm like a paraplegical privileges. Like one day I can go out and the next day I'm a, I look like I'm a vegetable. And that was what my disease was. And I was like, how am I going to go and fly? I mean, I, I've had the cops called on me because I went to go propose to my wife in Ecuador and I had an attack in the airport and someone called the police because they said I looked crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, they nailed that. And, but other... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm 100% sober, which is funny. I've never drank, never done drugs. That's what's so funny about me playing Otis because I've never drunk. I've never drank, you know. And uh, well, with this disease, man, uh, sometimes I, I look crazy. And someone called the cops and they thought I was on something. And they 
the, the New Jersey cop, this is, I'm going to propose to my wife in Ecuador. It's December. My illness is stress induced. I was under a lot of stress. Someone called the police and uh, the Jer- Jersey cop shows up and he goes, what's wrong? What are you on? And I'm like, I'm not on anything. He's like, are you talking back to me? <laughs> I, felt, I felt like I was talking to my dad. So I was like, no, no, officer. I mean, no, sir. You know, and so I just shut up and let him say whatever. And I told him the situation. And he goes, well, get in the ambulance. And if they say you're okay, we'll let you fly. And I said, but I am okay. And he goes, what did I just say? Okay, I'm going. <laughs> I get in the ambulance. They say I'm not going to die. They say I'm all right. Because with my illness, it, you can't, you'd have to do deeper blood work to know you're not going to see it just on the surface like that. So, so what ended up happening was they let me go and he goes, get in the police car. And I said, you want me to get in the, I said, you, you're going to let me go. And he goes, get in the car. I get in the cop car. He takes me to the Marriott right outside the Newark airport. He said, get out, come with me. And we walk into the airport to, to the Marriott hotel. He pays for my room. Cause I, I didn't have any money. I was broke at the time. This cop pays for my room and he goes, get some rest and go marry that girl. And I flew to uh, Ecuador and proposed on Christmas Eve. And if it wasn't for that cop, that would have never happened. Wow. And just, and that's so weird. Not only, you know, that he took care of you, but <clears throat> your dad being a cop before there's a cop that's looking at you getting married. Uh, let's, let's talk real quick about, about being married. And, you know, you mentioned miscarriages and a lot of different uh, things oh, you yeah. there. you got, uh, wonderful family now and it's it's great to see y'all hanging out and it seems like the uh, apple doesn't fall too far from the tree when it comes to your your children well I love my kids and I, I love my wife you know it's not been easy with my wife because she's from a whole nother culture and 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 so adjusting it that if I say I've had to go through a lot adjusting I can only imagine what she's had to go through you know um, it's a different language it's a different <laughs> it's a different vibe but I, you know, she stood by my side, even when, you know, if I, if there's ever times I want to give up, I can only imagine how many times she wanted to give up. And I'm just so glad we're still together. And I, and I feel like, you know, the past, you know, I can't, I can't ever, I can't ever heal the past, uh, you know, but, but we can go forward and, 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 and make a, a great future. So there was a lot of disappointment and a lot of failures and frustration, but I'm telling you, uh, my, my son has really helped to heal us. You know, because uh, when my daughter was born, you know, she has autism and, uh, you know, there's just a amount of grieving that you go through, you know, when, right. when you deal with, 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 when you have a lot of expectations for your kids. And when your first child is born with my own illness, I felt a lot of guilt. Like, well, maybe you know, she's that way because of me. It's all my fault. So, you know, there was some, there was some things, you know, that we both were going through. We might've said things to each other that there was just, it was, it was like grieving, just not just not understanding how, how, why this is happening, you know, and, and God has really helped us to, to get through that and to, to, to move forward, you know, and, and so we're in a healing process right now and, and, and every day it's getting better. But my son, you know, my wife was two weeks away from full blown cancer and they said that she, you know, she, she would never have kids again and she had held out hope to have another child. And so she, um, when he told her that she was about to have cancer and, but they caught it and they were able to get it. But he said, you guys are done. She told me to sell all the baby stuff for our first child. So I went to go rummage sell it. And then I went to fly to Phoenix to do a show with Don Knotts' daughter. And my wife calls me and says, don't sell the stuff. I'm pregnant. And our baby boy's birth 
was so much different than my our first child. You know, and our first child was in Children's Hospital in Minneapolis for a month. We couldn't even hold her. You know, she was right. three pounds, 15 ounces. And, you know, he comes out 100% healthy. And so it's just, it's such a different experience. And, and my daughter, who has autism, is doing so well. She's thriving. Um, she's in an environment that is so the school system is just amazing with kids with autism and she's full functioning. She went from high sensory to full functioning in less than three years of therapy. So wow, they say she's great. high functioning she's doing great, beautiful. And everybody that meets her that we don't go around and tell a lot of people, but uh, for the sake of this interview, I just wanted the people to understand, you know, when you ask that question, that was another thing that on top of everything else of moving here, we were dealing with, with, loss of uh, family members, but also loss of expectation, you know, right. like I want my, my daughter to talk to me every day. Well, the autistic kids don't talk like that. She was nonverbal for five years. So, right. And just the cutest kids too. Uh, I, I remember when me and my son came out to see you in Branson, probably six or seven years ago, I'm guessing. Um, you know, you had the piece in your show where you, you said she looked like a doll baby and she, she oh, yeah. She literally, you had a picture of, of dolls and, you know, I think she was sitting on the shelf right next to the dolls and it, it, was, it was like, is, is, which one is her? You know, it's, it's so close and so cute. I do a little show where I use that picture still because I never posted that picture online and I, I go, uh, I go, this, this picture is so important to parenting because every time my daughter acts up, she's seven now. I go, you want to go back to Target? I'll put you on that show because uh, I took a picture of my baby when she was a little, when she was only six months and I set her on the shelf next to these dolls that were the same height as her in a box. And she's the only one not in a box <laughs> standing perfectly with the same expression on her face as the dolls had. And so I always go, you want to go back to Target? I'll put you on that shelf. So, <laughs> you know. That's hilarious. Well, it's been quite a journey. You've done a lot. You've got a lot ahead of you for sure. Um, are there any like, you know, just as a performer or as a person things, off stage or on stage that you wish you would have thought about or known or been able to handle earlier? Or, I mean, I, I think none of us have any regrets, but are there things you look back and go, Oh man, I wish I had picked up on this a little quicker. Um, oh yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, it, you know, as far as overhead and running things, you know, my job is not to be a theater owner. My job is not to be, uh, my product is my standup. So, mm-hmm. If I can keep my product and get people to, 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 you know, work on my product and get it to a venue that can allow me to, to, to be great. I think, I think when you're first starting out, your mind's going all different directions. You got, you got to follow what your, what your gift is and what your strength is and get that product tighter. You know, I think, I wish I would have spent more time writing um, and, and perfecting my product instead of trying to worry about so many different things. But but in some ways, that journey allowed me to 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 find out what I should be doing. And, and, and so I don't know. I mean, I can't say I don't wish that I didn't do that because even the failure helped me find my way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. If I wouldn't have had that failure, if I wouldn't have had that failure, then I wouldn't have never discovered what does work for me. So and then and that's another thing that I don't regret is is failure, because failure can can, you know, some people have a misconception that we always got we're, every time a comic gets on stage is amazing. That's not true. And, and then you've got the new guys that are so worried to fail. And it's like, dude, you're going to fail and you're, and you got to embrace it. And you got to not, 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 it doesn't mean you have to settle for it, but you have to use it as a way. Why didn't it work? Why didn't it work? 
you know why didn't i connect with this crowd why didn't why didn't they like those jokes and uh i had someone come up to me last night after one of my shows and these are tourists they're older people and they said man we remember when you first came we seen your first show when you first came to town and i looked at my wife and i said this is what the guy said i said that guy won't last another week in this town <laughs> he goes and we seen you last night and we're like wow he goes you talk about a makeover he goes he goes what i also said to my wife was if he doesn't change his approach or change his material or learn what the people like he might as well just pack up tonight and move out Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm so glad that you changed or adapted to your surrounding. And so that, that is something I'll never regret doing is that that's been my strength is that admit when you're wrong, admit what doesn't work and scrap it. If everybody's saying, man, that joke's not funny, then go with something else, you know, but don't, don't do it right away. But, but you know what I'm saying? If, if you've mm -hmm. been doing the same thing for five years and it's not, it's not opening any doors, well then try, try to work on something else, you know? Right. So that's great. And it, it has been quite a while that you've been there and you're, you're all over the place now. Where can people check you out online to find out if you're going to be in, in their neck of the woods? And is there any place you would like them to follow you uh, specifically? Yeah. Sure. My website is joeyilocomedy.com. And um, I try to put tour dates up there. But if I put all of them, uh, my Branson and tour dates up there, then people will think that I'm not bookable. So uh, if you want to book book me, feel free to call the number that's on my website or inbox me. Um, the cool thing about what I do in Branson is I have backups, so I can go out of town. My my schedule in Branson is extremely flexible, so I can go out of town anytime I want to. So I just didn't want anybody to think, oh, there's no way to book him because he's so busy. You know, right. that right. was another thing I remember, Bob. Smiley, you know, Bob Smiley, right? Yes. I remember. I remember there was a patch in my schedule where I was struggling with dates. And I said, hey, Bob, because um, his parents came to town and I hooked them up with free tickets. And he goes, is there anything I can do for you? And I said, yeah, if you got any shows. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, you need shows? He goes, I thought you were all set. And I'm like, hey, man, you know this business. You're not, you're not always, just because it looks like I'm, I can always use more money. You know what I'm saying? Because right. you know, just because you have a show doesn't mean you're getting paid a lot either. So, you know, so that, that, that's what I'm saying. I'm always willing to go out on the road and always willing to book. So. They can go to my website. Well, Joey, it's been good talking with you today. Uh, look for the next time we can meet up, hang out, maybe even do a show together. It's, it's been a little while. It's good to see you this past summer, but looking forward to the next time. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Joey Aiello. Very thoughtful guy, uh, interesting cat, and funny for sure. So I'm going to link to some of his videos in the show notes. You can go to schoollast.com, check out this podcast episode, and click those links. See what Joey looks like. See how funny he is. And I'll even include a clip where he looks a little bit like Otis from the Andy Griffith Show. You want to check that out for sure. Thanks again to John Peters, to Joel Byers, and the Hot Breath Podcast. This is Rick Roberts. And I uh, just want to let you know, again, if you haven't taken the time to check out the website, schooloflaughs.com, jump on there. We've got over 177 episodes now of the podcast, dozens of blog posts, some free downloadable resources, all kinds of good stuff on the website. And also on there, you can find that information about the online writing class, which right now uh, I'm running a special on the class 20% off. To get that coupon code, check out the show notes as well. 
All right, I'll talk to you guys next time. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.